How are y'all doing? Good. I'm Mike Sayers. I'll be your pastor for the evening. Um, do me a favor and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I uh, admit that I am a weak vessel and um, full of holes. And I will sink, Lord, if you don't keep me afloat for the next several minutes. So I ask for your help in preaching your word, not only boldly, but with love and uh, truth. I ask this in Jesus' name. Please open our ears to what you have to say to all of us, me included, through these teachings of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, Father. Amen. All right. So how many people here uh, saw the movie Slumdog Millionaire? Right? Okay, great. Directed by uh, Danny Boyle. Anyway, um, a couple years ago, Danny Boyle closed out the London Film Festival with Slumdog Millionaire, which went on to earn multiple Grammy I'm sorry, Academy Awards and things like that. Uh, this year at the London Film Festival, his uh, movie will also close out the event. And October 28th, uh, there'll be a movie directed by Danny Boyle called 127 Hours. Now, 127 Hours is a movie based on the book Between a Rock and a Hard Place by a guy named... Aaron Ralston. Aaron Ralston actually is a Cherry Creek High School graduate. Uh, went to Hope United Methodist Church in Glendale. In Greenwood Village, sorry. Greenwood Village, Colorado. I think his parents still go there. But it seems that in April 2003, Aaron was training for what he thought was going to be his best event ever. His goal was to climb all of Colorado's 14ers in a single winter. So pretty extreme guy. So he was training by hiking through a Utah Canyon, Blue John Canyon, all by himself. Nobody really knew where he was. And um, if you know the story, he was uh, coming down a canyon wall when a half-ton boulder slipped and it wedged his hand in between the boulder and the canyon wall. Tried as he might to move this thousand-pound object, he could not budge it. And so one day went by, and then two days went by, and then three days went by, he sipped his water to stay alive. Four days went by, he started drinking his own urine so he wouldn't get dehydrated. On the fifth day, he began the process of cutting off his own hand to free himself from what looked like certain death. He tried this uh, all-purpose tool, not a good one. He said, the kind you get free when you buy a flashlight. And uh, he couldn't cut. Uh, and so he had to break his arm first using some kind of leverage against the uh, canyon wall 
So he broke the radius first and then the ulna, and then he took the knife and began, after affixing a tourniquet just above where he was going to cut, began cutting off his hand. Took him a little over an hour to do it. I guess the tendons were the hardest part of that because they're pretty tough. He cut off his hand, leaving it there wedged between the canyon wall and the boulder, repelled about 70 feet down the rest of the way one-handed. If you guys know anything about repelling, it takes two hands normally. Um, But he did the rest of the way, 70 feet, just one-handed, hiked for three hours trying to get to his car when he was met by this family of hikers from the Netherlands who gave him a couple Oreo cookies and something to drink. And then the helicopter, which was looking for him, found them and life-flighted him to a hospital where he was attended to. So that's the movie coming out later on this year. It's kind of incredible. It's funny, Danny Boyle's first film was this kind of jubilant rags-to-riches drama when his latest movie, 127 Hours, about the life of Aaron Ralston, is going to be a little bit more sobering. Ralston said of his own story, it may not be pretty, but surviving is grit and determination in its highest form. I wonder whether as a kid at Hope United Methodist in Greenwood Village, Colorado, if Aaron Ralston ever encountered the passage we're about to read today from the Gospel of Mark. It also occurs somewhat in the Gospel of Matthew. So I think there's a chance he might have heard it. But um, there's a picture of Aaron. Let's go now to the Word of God. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 38. Jesus and the disciples are talking. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ, to the Messiah, will certainly not lose his reward. Now, John asks what I think is a fairly easy question. I think it's a question that anybody who's following anybody would ask. I get these kinds of questions. Hey, Mike, there's someone in Atlanta, Georgia, who's starting a church called Scum of the Earth, and he doesn't know anything about us. What do you think we should do? So I don't think John's request is odd. But I think what's more odd is Jesus' response. Because I would expect Jesus to kind of want to preserve brand identity here. 
Um, you know, here's some people who are casting out demons in Jesus' name who have not followed Jesus around very much. They don't know the deeper teachings. They haven't hung with the disciples. They don't have that fellowship. And they're doing all this stuff, right? It's like trademark infringement or something. And um, Jesus says, don't worry about it. If they're not against us, they're for us. I'm thinking, Jesus, didn't you say that someplace else the opposite way? Didn't you say that? Like somebody, you know, if, if, they're, if they're not for us, then they're against us. Didn't you say that? Well, you know, it's all about context. And if you remember, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, we've kind of done this peak, and now we're down going on the other side of the peak. We, we ended up in the Mount of Transfiguration, kind of the peak of the Gospel of Mark and the stuff that happens right around there. And now Jesus is heading down toward the cross. Things are getting tougher. Uh, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law are closing in. It's a difficult time to be Jesus. And in that kind of a situation, anybody who is not against you is for you. It'd be kind of like um, if you were my wife's grandmother in Czechoslovakia back around World War II, and you were hiding Jews in your basement, in the bunker, underneath the butcher shop, Anybody who wasn't against you was for you. As long as they didn't tell the Nazis, they were your friend, right? It's kind of like that now. When the going gets tough, when persecution happens, and I think someday it will, maybe even in this country the way it's happened in other parts of the world, people who are not against us are going to be cool as far as we are concerned. And I think Jesus is saying, that here. And he's saying, look, I, in fact, I tell you what, I'm going to reward people who are not against us. Who Anybody who goes even to the smallest bit of effort to bless you because you follow me, if they just give you a cup of cold water, I tell you the truth, they will not lose their reward. So, I think maybe this is good news in post-Christian America that we don't have to consider people who are not for Jesus as part of the enemy. That's good news, right? Anyway. Now, applying this kind of thing to our day-to-day lives, there's lots of churches around, aren't there? Some that are different than scum. Let's maybe put it, almost every church is different than scum. Um, Some of them, most of us think are kind of weird. But if they're not against us, then they're for us. We just got done going as a staff to a conference. The Willow Creek Association Global Leadership Summit. You know when you got a name that long for your conference, it's going to be good. And 
It was a Cherry Hills Community Church, the big mega church down south in Highlands Ranch. So we, I make the whole staff go amid grumbling and protests. I make them all go because I'm the boss. I can do that. We're going. There's something to be learned from these folks. So we go down there. And what was worse is we, we got a cut rate because I made them all be volunteers, which meant we had to be there at like 6.30 in the morning as opposed to 8. Um, anyway. Walking into Cherry Hills Community Church from Scum of the Earth Church is like walking into a different part of the Christian universe. There's, first of all, everything's on this giant video screen. It's all piped in from Chicago, Illinois. And um, the worship is on the video screen. People are standing up. People are looking at the screen. Worship leader says something. People clap. They do whatever they do. I'm thinking... This is like virtual worship because, not real worship, it's virtual worship. We're, we're worshiping with a, a live feed from Chicago. And, you know, so there were, you know, the worship team was up there and the big worship leader with the words going across the bottom. And then you have the smoke behind the worship so you can see the lights, you know, doing the thing. It's kind of like this discount rock concert. And... Um, you can imagine how well this went over people, people from Scum of the Earth. Once again, I'm meeting people from my staff out in the foyer. We're all out in the foyer during the worship. Because for us, it's just too big of a cultural leap. Can't really do this. Even people who were part of that world for years and have since been on Scum staff for three or four now can't handle it anymore, which leads me to believe that Scum of the Earth spoils you for just about every other church you can attend. I'm not sure that's a good thing. Anyway, they start, you know, first speaker gets up, Bill Hybels, pastor of Willow Creek. He was awesome. I thought he was awesome. I don't think he brought up one Bible verse, maybe. <laughs> but they're used to that at Willow Creek because they preach topically. You know, they go through felt needs kind of sermon series. And, you know, here at SCUM, you know, we always go through the Bible expositionally. We're going, today we're talking about Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. Next week we're going to start with, you know, chapter 10 or something. And come on. That's what we do here. So there's that. There's the fact that people there are dressed up in, you know, dockers, uh, at least the guys are dressed up in dockers and polo shirts with embroidery, you know, right here. And, um, you know, there's Jesse Hallman, our own Jesse Boy Hallman, who is in his uh, motorcycle jacket, black T-shirt, black jeans, red vans, or some kind of skater shoe. And in between, um, I should have asked your permission before I told this story, Jesse. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I told it this morning, so I just figured I should do it again tonight. And so as not to appear, you know, elusive. I'm just going to say right out here in front of everybody what I said this morning. Um, so... Um, he actually puts in his, his earbuds from his Walkman, whatever. Oh, I'm sorry, iPods, Walkmans. I'm living in the last... <laughs> My gosh. Probably the people from Cherry Hills thought it was a Walkman. But anyway, um, so he puts the earphones in, 
It starts listening to, I don't know, Slayer or something because it brings them closer to Jesus. And um, in, between, in between sessions, and of course, one of the volunteers, of which he is a fellow member of the volunteer, says, you can't do that. Take those earbuds out. And furthermore, you're in the wrong section. You've got to move. You can imagine how well this went over with Jesse. You can imagine how well it went over with me. But me, being the boss, I couldn't show my disappointment. I just had to ask him just to slough it off. Because of this passage, if they're not against us in terms of Jesus Christ and his mission on earth, they're for us. As a matter of fact, you know what? Cherry Hills Community Church gave us $50,000 toward the purchase of that building two blocks north of here. You know, that's more than a cup of water. That's more than 50,000 cups of water. And um, I think God's going to bless them for it, you see? And so I think one of the applications for this particular part of Jesus' teaching is that we should take it easy on people who claim to be Christians and don't do things the way we do. You know, we may be cooler than them. We may be more genuine than them. We may be more authentic than them. I doubt if we're more humble. But it's not a us versus them. It's, it's just a us. Okay, just an us. Goes for Catholics. Goes for Orthodox. Goes for Methodist, Episcopal, Baptist, Anglican, Pentecostal of any stripe. Okay? All right. Jesus goes on. Verse 42. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. (laughs) Wait a minute. It's like Jesus just got done ramping it up here, didn't he? He's going, well, wait a minute. let me further explain. These other people out here who are casting out demons in my name, they're just getting to know me. They're just kind of testing out the name, see how it works. They can't say anything bad about me. They're kind of seeking. They're not really part of us, but they're on the fringe. They're new Christians. They're different Christians. They're people who are not against us. These are the little ones he's talking about. And he says, you know what? If you cause them to sin, it would be better for you if this giant rock were tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. That's better than what would happen to you if you caused one of these little ones to sin. The Greek word is the same. It's a scandalon. It's a, it's a, means to stumble. If you cause one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, to trip up, uh, it can also mean um, to snare. If you snare one of these guys in your quest for brand identity, it's better for you to be cast in the sea with a large rock tied around your neck. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a little extreme, don't you think, Jesus? But obviously not. 
Jesus is extremely concerned about those who don't know him quite as well as you do. And if we so much as get in their way, in their trek toward him, we are in grave danger. That's not a pun. That's literally. We are in grave danger. Now, not only are we told not to cause these people to stumble, to be trapped in something because of our words, because of our quest for purity, for brand identity, we're cautioned not to sin ourselves. Let's go on. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Obviously, unlike many of his clergy, Jesus believes in hell. Just making that statement. If you, you're a pastor or a preacher, tell you that hell, hell is not really there, then Jesus obviously disagrees. But again, Jesus is kind of ramping it up even further. So it's not just about us getting in the way of somebody else's relationship with God. It's about what gets in the way of our relationship with God. That Jesus says, you've got to get really, really serious about this. All right, John, you know what? You're one of my disciples. You know the deeper things. You've been watching me for a while. You've been following me for a while. You know what? I've got a harder teaching for you. If you've been coming to scum of the earth, if you've been part of a Bible study, if you've been pursuing this Christian thing for a while, guess what? Jesus is calling you to ramp it up. He's got a harder teaching for you. Not only, I think, because of what it does with your relationship with God, but how the sin that you enter into affects the whole community. Because what I see happening in this whole passage, it's about community. It starts off with community. It ends with community. And I think smack dab in the middle, it's about community. It's about how you and your actions not only affect your relationship with God and how they affect somebody else's relationship with God, but how they affect the community's relationship with God. Jesus says, get serious about it. Get deadly serious about it. As serious as Aaron Ralston was when he was pinned in a canyon in Utah where he cut off his own hand to save his life. And I want to ask, what's pinning you to a canyon wall? What's pinning you down right now? 
Jesus is identifying the things very often that cause us to go into sin, isn't he? I mean, it's kind of hard to sin some sins with your hands tied behind your back, isn't it? Whether I want to smoke this or take that or steal this. Or with your eyes. For men, very often, sexual sin begins through the eyes. They have this software you can put in your computer. It's called Covenant Eyes. It comes from a verse in Job where Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a young girl. And so you can put this software on your computer and it will either track where you've been or stop you from going places you ought not to go. And then it sends a report of where you've been to your accountability partners. I have this on my computer. My sons have this on their computer. Some of my best friends have this on their computer. And we hold each other accountable. I mean, if Jesus said, look, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, isn't it easier to just add some kind of software to your computer than plucking out your eyes? Do you have that? This is a crocheted afghan. See this? This is a wedding present to my wife and I from, uh, yeah, it is, from Mrs. Rosanelli. Mrs. Rosanelli was, Mrs. Rosanelli was a, um, a blind lady who did this for us and gave it to us for our, uh, our wedding. This is the story. When I met Mrs. Rosanelli, she was an older woman, kind of a grandma age. But when she was young, she was married to a man who was unfaithful to her, committed adultery, followed the lust of his eyes, and uh, slept with some other women. They... Uh, Eventually got divorced, I believe. But uh, in her depression, as a result of her marriage falling apart, um, Mrs. Rosanelli did something most of us would be appalled at. She began looking at other men and wanting them for herself and knowing this passage in the Gospel of Mark, and one similar in the Gospel of Matthew, actually two similar ones in the Gospel of Matthew, she gouged out her own eyes. And that's how she became blind. Now, I tell you that story not so much because it's tragic, it is a tragic story. I'm sure she was 
clinically depressed when she did that, perhaps mentally ill. When I knew her, she was a sweet little old lady who was blind and would do Afghans for couples getting married. But does Jesus mean this literally? I mean, obviously for Aaron Ralston, it was a literal thing. But if you're an alcoholic and your feet keep taking you into the corner bar, should you cut off your feet? I mean, what do you do if every time you reach for a bottle, you want to just cut off your hand? Okay? Then you're going, okay, I'll just use my other hand. But then you can't cut that one off because you have no other hand to cut it off with. Well, let's suppose you cut the other hand off, but you still wanted to drink. And you would still want to drink. Because the problem is, you can't cut out your heart. I mean, what is Jesus really saying here? Is he really saying, would you take this kind of drastic action? I don't think so. I don't think anybody in the first century who heard this would have thought Jesus was talking about this literally. He's using a teaching method called hyperbole. It means going to the extreme to prove a point. And the point was, you've got to deal ruthlessly with the sin in your life. It's imperative. It's imperative for your relationship with God. It's imperative for your relationship with the body. It's imperative for their relationship with God. Because you are not alone. You are part of a living organism called the church. And when you fall, everybody else gets dragged down too. And Jesus says, I want you to be ruthless about routing that kind of stuff out of your life. To the point of, even if you could, you would cut off your hand, cut off your foot, gouge out your eye. Do whatever it takes to survive. Our lives in the words of Aaron Ralston should be words, I'm sorry, should be lives of grit and determination in the highest form. The Christian life is grit and determination. It's tough. If there's a sin in your life and you like to hide it, you are in danger of the fires of hell, Jesus says. Now, here's a question. Does that mean, like, I can sin ten times? Or does it mean I can sin a hundred times? before I'm in danger of the fires of hell? Or does that mean I can sin a thousand times before I'm in the danger of hell? Like Jesus, like how many times do I got to sin before I'm in danger of the fires of hell the way you said in this chapter of the Gospel of Mark? I mean, a more accurate reading actually might be every sin puts you in danger of the fires of hell. Maybe the Nazarenes are right after all. I don't know. Thanks be to our Lord Jesus Christ who paid the penalty of our sin on the cross. If Jesus gave his life 
that we might be free, not only from sin, but from its consequences, then out of our gratitude, how quickly should we get rid of those kinds of things in our lives? Not because it hurts us only, because it hurts our relationship with God, it hurts the body's relationship with God. Verse 49, everyone would be salted with fire. I have no idea what this means. I'm sure Craig's got an opinion. But I can tell you it's one of many opinions that have been debated for a couple thousand years now. We're not sure what he meant. Is it a Hebrew idiom that's been translated directly into Greek? Like when you in Hebrew said... Everyone would be salted with fire. You all knew what that meant because you were Hebrews in the first century and it's a Jewish expression. And you translate it into Greek without interpreting it. No one knows what the hell you're talking about. That's a possibility. Maybe it means everyone will be burned up with fire. That could make sense based on the context of the passage. The people to do those kinds of things will be burned up with fire. Is that something to do with some kind of purification ritual from the Old Testament? Maybe. Is that something to do with the fact that you throw salt into a fire and you get pretty colors? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm sorry. I needed to bring this up because I didn't want to ignore the Word of God. But I also want you to know that I don't know everything. So there. Go seek God on your own. Maybe it has to do with persecution. That's another one of those ideas. Like, you know, like when you're persecuted, things get in your life kind of get heated up a bit, you know? And then it actually kind of purifies you to a degree. Maybe it's that. I don't know. I just gave you several things it could be. You know, it's all of them. It's none of them. Okay. Verse 50. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves. And be at peace with each other. The Greek actually is have salt among yourselves. Again, we're back to community. This is not about you individually, Americans. This is about us corporately. Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. What is that about? For those of you listening at home, I'm pulling things out from in between the music stand. Leon, you can figure that one out all by yourself. I'm not even going to try and explain it to you. What I have here is some feta cheese. And what I have here are some kalamata olives. To most Greeks, these are sacred, like communion.
because feta cheese and olives represent what we do around a table as we have philoxenia, as we have hospitality with one another, as we have fellowship with one another. It's impossible for you to go to a Greek home and not eat something if you're a visitor. It's, you know, what's the matter? Aren't you hungry? Why don't you eat anything? Don't you love me? That's the logic. And um, <laughs> things are seasoned around a Greek table. One of the seasonings, obviously, is salt, kalati. Uh, if you ever have any of these olives, and I'll pop one in my mouth right now. Mm. I love these things. Tart. Ooh, and salty. Mm. The pits, never good to chomp on a pit. Talk about the pit from hell one time. <laughs> Cracked my tooth. I lost it. Got it pulled out. Always get olives with the pits in them so you know they're there. When they tell you they're pitted olives at the store, they lie. They lie like dogs. They will pay for that somewhere in the afterlife. Mmm. Because there's always one in there someplace and it cracks your tooth. Salty. Why is it salty, I wonder? Well, it's salty because in Greece, back in the day, they had no refrigeration. Um, you preserve things with salt. It's what kept things fresh for a longer period of time. Same thing with uh, feta cheese. Feta cheese is soaked in brine. Brine is salt water. It's really good stuff. Mmm. Made from goats and sheep's milk. I love feta cheese. You know what? You don't need to refrigerate it. Why? Because it's soaked in brine. You go to the Greek market, like my grandmother did. They have the feta cheese there in the in the case. God would go to grab some for my grandmother. She goes, "Oh no 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 no." Then fell off though. I don't want that. Aptobaro, which means from the barrel. From the barrel. Baro is like a anglicized, a Greekized English word. Hellenized Greek word. I mean, barrel becomes baro. It's like bus becomes bussy or car becomes caro. Baro. Aptobaro. I fell aptobaro. So I've got to go. So the guy had to go back to the barrel, which is a barrel of. Hey. Joshua, Joshua, don't forget the olives. He just couldn't take it anymore. It was a barrel filled with salt water, right? They, it, was, it preserved the cheese. I mean, cheese goes bad quickly, right? Without refrigeration, but you put it in salt water, you know what? It stays, it stays fresh, and it's tasty. We like salty things, right? Especially Molly. She likes salty things, savory things, not sweet things. Molly Fitzpatrick, you want to get her something? Don't get her sweet stuff. 
Get her salty stuff. She likes that. Now, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Have what in yourselves? You know what? Let's have some fellowship. Let's have some table fellowship. Let's pass the salt. Let's have some feta cheese. Let's have some olives. It tastes good, and it keeps us fresh. Jesus is saying, look, I want you to love one another. Don't be trying to ostracize people because they don't know as much as you do. Don't you dare cause somebody to stumble and fall out of the kingdom because of what you do. But you know what I would like? I would like you to get together and to pass the food around to preserve to enjoy the seasonings, to have some fellowship. That's what I want from you. This whole passage is about community. From beginning until end. Look, church on, some, uh, on Sunday nights is, you know, how can I put it? If you were at a Greek restaurant, it would be the grapes they brought after the meal was over. It would be the yogurt and the grapes. It might be a little aperitif, aperitif, a little after-dinner drink. The bulk of our life together is not Sunday nights. The bulk of our life together is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We should be building each other up, not tearing each other down. We should be encouraging each other to live holy lives, pleasing to God, not tearing each other down by doing things secretly uh, that would cause someone to stumble. Better we gouge it out. Cut it off. The body becomes more and more important. The body of Christ, the community of Jesus, becomes more and more important the tougher things get on the outside. The more post-Christian this country becomes, the more important this church will become in your life. The more important a church will be, uh, should become for, for anybody, whether they're in Cherry Hills or whether they're in Greenwood Village. It doesn't matter. We are called to be part of a body. Sunday nights is great, but get involved. You saw that small group sheet that Paul was holding up here just a little bit ago. Find a small group. Become part of one. If you can't find one and be part of, become part of one, then start one of your own. It's imperative. It's imperative. I think I will end with prayer. Lord Jesus, impress upon us the importance of what you said, even though it's very, very difficult, Lord. I ask you to give us compassion for those who are different than us in the faith. I ask you to give us a love for those who are just beginning to find out who you are and begin calling on your name. I pray that we will be open and hospitable, that we would have hospitable, that we would invite them in and not exclude them because they don't look like scum of the earth church folks ought to look. And Father, I ask that you root out 
every sin in our lives that destroys our relationship with you and destroys our relationship with others and destroys their relationship with you in this body we call the church. It's so terribly serious. Lord, don't let us go down that road where the end thereof is death. And Lord, finally, give us a love for one another that uh, seasons our lives from the time we're young to the time we're old, that preserves our lives, that keeps us fresh because we're part of your body, the church. May it be in your name, Jesus. Amen.